everyone, this is Kristen coming to you from the head of the bed, and we're here in Tualatin, Oregon, to talk with David Andrews. David is a current federal political director and also the president-elect for Oregon Association of Nurse Anesthetists. He's currently working as the CRNA for Outpatient Anesthesia Services of Oregon, and we're here to talk to him about considerations for outpatient anesthesia. Welcome, David. Well, thank you. One small correction, I'm now the acting president. The acting president. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, so. All righty. So first, let's just tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners and um, a little bit about how long you've been a CRNA, kind of settings you've worked at and things like that. Great. Well, um, thanks for coming. Welcome Thank to Portland. Having us. I love it here. Um, I've been a CRNA for 18 years. Um, it's a great job. I moved from Charleston, South Carolina, where I did all my training. I graduated from there in 96 and practiced there for 15 years and primarily ACT settings in all kinds of settings. Um, trauma centers, teaching institutions, small community hospitals. And uh, on my off time, I, off time, I worked, uh, I worked in office space too. So I had independent practice experience there too. Um, through a series of events, a job opportunity opened up here in Portland and the timing was right for me and my family. So uh, together we all picked up and moved the wagon 3,500 miles across country and uh, it's, been a, it's been a great success. I love it. We've been here for two years and uh, the family's happy, the dog's happy, the daughter's happy, so life good. is good. Excellent. Now tell us a little bit about your practice setting and you're currently working for the Oregon Anesthesia Services or Outpatient it's, Anesthesia it's Services. It's a mouthful. It's Outpatient Anesthesia Services of Oregon. It's a company that's been in business here for 20 years. Uh, Grant Diggles is the CEO. He's a non-clinician. He got the company from his mother, Mary Diggles, who was a uh, a pioneer for independent CRNA practice in Oregon. There's currently a, an annual award that's given in her name to the CRNA that uh, exemplifies her values and characteristics. So this is a company that's well established and is um, has proven its um, its worth in the community for for years, for decades. We currently have a dozen contracts. They're primarily outpatient anesthesia, so it's ambulatory surgery centers, doctors' offices, pain clinics. Um, so that that's the niche that we're going after. Uh, we have also have uh, 12 CRNAs and two MD anesthesiologists that work for us. Okay. So in your opinion, as working in outpatient, what do you think are some of the greatest challenges related to outpatient anesthesia? That's a great question. It's, uh, it's challenging. Probably the, the single biggest challenge is the scheduling. Um, many of the facilities we own are physician-owned or they're small little mom-and-pop plastic surgery operations and they many times struggle to fill days full of surgery and that poses a challenge for us to um, employ CRNAs on a full-time basis so the scheduling and our flexibility and um, ability to adapt our model so that we can still make money and, and employ CRNAs on a regular basis, that's a real challenge for us. Grant does a good job, but it involves really day-to-day -day schedule changes and nuances in order to, to stay above board and to continue to make money. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, I have a, had a patient recently, I'm working actually as a, it was at an outpatient facility, and there was, um, and this was a sick patient, we had a rapid atrial fib in the 120s. She was um, in stage four renal uh, disease and, you know, just very, very sick patient. And we went in for an outpatient procedure um, to do a bronchoscopy. She had uh, some kind of pulmonary disease that they wanted to come in, go in and take a sample. 
So simple outpatient procedure, very sick patient. And, you know, one thing led to another, tried to deliver the least amount of anesthetic as possible. And um, we ended up in a code situation. So after this procedure, she ended up, you know, still intubated and in the ICU. So, you know, with that being said, how important is patient selection for outpatient setting and what kind of criteria do you guys have in place to select the right type of patients for those kind of procedures? So you went through this? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Recently, That's scary yeah. stuff. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and going through that is, it's traumatic. Uh, and it, you're, you're reminded of uh, how dangerous it is what we do. Um, every day, there's no simple procedure. There's no easy outpatient. There's no easy anything in anesthesia. We make it look easy, but that's the stress of it. Patient selection is, is, a, is a battle. So the worst thing and the last thing we want to do is to cancel patients on the day of surgery. That uh, ties up resources. It, uh, it, it's wasteful. And uh, it reflects poorly on us and the facility. So we do everything we can to vet these patients early and to, uh, to um, weed out those that um, maybe aren't candidates or that need further testing. There's a lot of debate in the community now about risk assessment. How do you assess risk for a certain procedure? Um, there's a push now to limit pre-op testing because it doesn't necessarily result in better outcomes. Is it, is it safer? Does it improve uh, safety and outcomes by doing all this pre-op testing? We know it, it costs more. It's a, it's a hassle for the patient. So that's the battle, the back and forth. The other is the economics of it. Uh, Physician-owned practices want to do cases. They, they, we feel pressure to do that. Um, as an anesthesia department, we feel pressure to, to do cases that come in the door and not to cancel. There's a financial pressure on us, too. Um, so those are all things we have to, have to consider. How do, we, how do we attenuate that? We try to get as much information as early as possible about the patient. We try to train the offices into knowing what information we need uh, depending on how the patient presents. There are national standards and guidelines, but they're very loose. Um, so it really does boil down to facility-specific decision-making. And then ultimately, it's the provider on that day who has to make the ultimate decision, can I give this anesthetic to this patient this day? I ultimately has to rely on that. As a clinical director, I want to support my providers, but also I have to teach them and train them to avoid same-day cancellations because uh, they, they would hurt us. The, what, what may happen ultimately is if, if we can't perform the services that the client wants, they'll replace us. Yep. So you have to balance that with patient safety. And it's, it's a tightrope. It's a constant tightrope. And you have to learn from it. But, um, and that's the difficult thing about anesthesia is you go through a traumatic event like that, you have to put it behind you and do the next case. And while the outcome was scary, it could have been worse. Yeah. And it, it may happen through no fault of your own. So it's important that you process that, take care of yourself, deal with that, the emotional impact of it so that um, you can live with yourself and move on if, even if the outcome isn't, isn't uh, a good one. You have to know that you did the very best. So that's what we're dealing with. We're, we're dealing with sick people in, in uh, kind of out of control, precarious situations. That's, that's anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So For sure. You know, we kind of touched on this, but how do you as an anesthesia provider find a balance between rapid turnover in a, you know, a booming outpatient setting and patient safety? That's a, a good question. Um, in our facilities, 
I'm able to keep up. I'm pretty quick. It, it takes longer for them to turn the room over. They, these facilities I work at don't have a lot of staff standing by like hospitals do. In a hospital setting, many times they can just overwhelm you with staff and throw in numbers of people uh, and, and, and be waiting for you. So when I find that happens, um, I generally slow down. I don't respond well to being rushed or hurried. Um, I, I, I have to uh, put up blinders and go at my own systematic pace. The reason I got to that is is bad experience. I've been rushed. I've found mistakes. I've done things wrong. And so when I start to feel that anxiety, that pressure, I take a deep breath and slow down and refocus on what I'm doing and, and how I'm doing it because it's, it's no excuse and every patient deserves the best care regardless of who is breathing down my neck. And, uh, and as you go through your career, you'll have rooms full of people breathing down your neck to either wake the patient up, put the patient to sleep, whatever. And at that point, you assume tunnel vision and pay attention to what's important because if something happens, they're going to scatter. It's still your responsibility and your decision as to the pace you go and how you do things. So certainly you have to develop a quick, systematic, efficient manner of putting someone to sleep. Um, and you'll develop that over time after you do 500 cases, 1,000 cases, 2,000 cases. But ultimately, you're responsible. It's your decision. You're going to be held accountable for the care you give. Exactly. So what is the most common kind of critical incident that you would see in the outpatient set? Well, critical incidents are very rare, thank goodness. Uh, and that's because of, you know, education, training, equipment, systems in place. So, so critical incidents are very rare. Uh, and that makes it hard to prepare for them. Um, but I think closed claims would say that the most common um, disastrous incidents are airway related. And that's going to be preparation. Um, so it's, it's, gonna, it's always about the airway. So uh, there's really no excuse for, as an anesthesia provider, for, for losing someone's airway. And that's really how you're going to hurt someone. And so going in, when you assess the patient, you can, you'll get a, and you can viral escape what the issue may be and focus in on that patient's particular uh, vulnerabilities. And nine times out of ten, it's about keeping them, keeping them breathing. Mm -hmm. You can fix just about everything else. Let's kind of shift topics and go into a little bit about regional anesthesia. Um, do you feel that that's a big part of the outpatient setting? It's a huge part of it. Uh, we want patients, and it's part of our value as a company, that we provide anesthesia that's nausea-free, uh, a quick wake-up with a prompt discharge. We'd like to discharge all our patients within an hour. And being discharged means being pain-free and comfortable and your tummy's okay. Uh, regional anesthesia works perfectly for that. Uh, also, physicians don't want to get calls a day or two afterwards that, that their patients are hurting. So it involves an education process with the surgeons because it takes up time preoperatively to set the block and to do it. But if we can, when, when we do win these surgeons over, they see the good benefit of it, then they're, they're all on board for it too. We'll put, um, for shoulder procedures, we'll put interscaling blocks in the last sometimes a day, a day and a half. And the physicians eat it up. Same thing for the, the, the popliteal blocks. So we're pushing regional anesthesia uh, as, as a good technique and then uh, a light uh, anesthetic on top of that. So it's a combined technique. We generally place all the blocks ahead of time. So our physicians are loving it. Our providers love it. It's a chance for them to learn new techniques. Uh, so it's, it's a win. The patients eat it up. We follow them afterwards. Uh, so we're, we track that pretty heavily, and it's a, it's a great benefit. Great. Now, are your CRNAs actually performing all of your um, regional anesthesia in your settings? 
We're a primarily a solo practice setting. So in each of our settings, you usually have one provider uh, and they those CRNAs that are comfortable have been trained and proctored and mentored do perform those blocks. We bring CRNAs in that maybe have minimal experience but want to learn and we'll proctor them as many times as needed until they're comfortable placing those blocks. That's great. Well, uh, just to wrap up, do you have any other um, advice for, let's say, uh, SRNAs coming out of an inpatient setting, um, a hospital-based setting, and transitioning into an outpatient setting? Any good advice for those kind of people? I would say that what's unique about the outpatient setting is it's it's customer service-based. So we're we're looking for CRNAs that have adopted a service-type attitude. Um, we don't bring the patient to the OR. The physician does. And a strength of our company, we've been told by our clients, is that CRNAs are flexible and adaptable and willing to accommodate surgeons' requests and needs within safe bounds. So the surgeon really establishes a relationship with the patient, brings them in. We see them just episodically. It's a short-time relationship we have with the patient. So it's important that we're providing the client, the surgeon, the type of anesthesia that, that he wants and needs for him to do it. And every surgeon's unique. And we really haven't found any that were out of bounds or unsafe or anything. It's minor, minor tweaking, minor variations in how each surgeon wants it done. CRNAs are adept at, at, at accommodating those requests and the surgeons eat it up. So we really try to emphasize that adaptability and flexibility and what type of anesthesia we give. And then we can provide the, service, uh, the surgeon a consistent service time and time out, and it provides better outcomes and, and uh, more consistent outcomes for the surgeon. So. Yeah. I think as students, you know, we are learn very early to be adaptable. So um, uh, you would say, you might say that it might be a good transition going into that. That's good to hear because when I was trained, it was more, I'm the head of the bed, I'm in charge of physiology, I can cancel cases. And the reality is you can be replaced. And the worst thing that uh, any SRNA or CRNA wants to hear is, I don't want him in my room anymore. He gives good anesthesia, but not the way I want it. Yeah then you're done, right? Because we're not bringing patients to the table. They are. And that's a tough mindset transition for many CRNAs and many SRNAs or physicians. I think the future's bright. I think CRNAs are well positioned. We're we're gaining new contracts all the time because of the of the service we offer. Uh, anesthesia is anesthesia, regardless of whether it's an anesthesiologist's hands or a CRNA's hands. We have to find our niche. And how can we how can we advance on a business level? Because business is really a great equalizer among all providers. It's an even playing field. So what can we do to advance our business that maybe the other side isn't doing? And I think it's service-based. Great. Well, thank you so much, David. Thank you.